0: Well, if you will, go ahead and start turning to Malachi chapter 3. Uh, we'll start off there. I uh, had, a, had a Facebook message sent to me, and it had this passage. Actually, it was, it was a passage, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, I think, to 4.1 was what they cited. We'll read down to verse 3. And the request was, could we go back and spend a little bit of time talking about pride and humility? And so I think we'll do that. We'll look at the Old Testament, and we'll move into the Old Testament. Uh, I'm not going to just pull out a lot of verses about pride and humility. We're actually going to go to a specific account, which is probably not your usual account to look at pride and humility. Uh, and as we talk about the consequence of pride and humility, let me start off by saying we're going to find pride, and we'll certainly apply it within this sermon, to both the Christian and the non-Christian. But as we look at humility, uh, the, only one, the only way for one to have true humility is for one to be a Christian. You're not going to find anyone who is not a Christian who has true humility, at least not according to what the Scriptures teach. So if you will, follow along with me. Malachi chapter 3, we'll start in verse 18, and we'll read down to uh, chapter 4, verse 3. And I'll give you a little bit of context here. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear My name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this saith the Lord of hosts. Well, we started off right here in the middle of, uh, really, of chapter 3. And if you're not very familiar, let me go back and give you just real quick kind of the context of what is taking place here. Uh, In chapters 1 and 2, if you go back, you'll find that the prophet Malachi was preaching to the people of his day that they needed to go back and they needed to consider what it was that they were doing in their lives and how it is that they were living. And the reason is, is because what they were doing and the ways that they were living were really detestable to God. They were unacceptable. He goes on and he basically says that to those Jews, they were acting not like God's people, but they were acting like people who, who literally were acting like worshiping God and giving their best to God was a burden. And they weren't even offering their first fruits to God. He points that out. He goes on and records a number of other issues that they had, that they were actually mistreating their spouses. They were divorcing for all different types of reason, or uh, as Jesus would point out, for any reason. And basically he says, and what's even worse than this is you're calling evil good, and you're calling good evil. And the point was is that they had left God. They had become literally detestable in His sight. Malachi three verses seven and eight, he says they've actually left the ordinance of, ordinances of God and they had robbed God. Well, in Malachi Malachi three eighteen, uh, God says through the prophet, "Then shall ye return and discern." Well, what's he talking about? <clears throat> I would phrase it this way: They they needed to waken up and they needed to come back to their senses. They needed to come back to faithfulness. They needed to quit turning their back on God. They needed to drop their pride, and they needed to regain some humility. And the idea was, is you're God's people, but you're not acting like God's people. Now certainly there's a difference when we begin to look at the righteous and the wicked. The humble, they disobey God's... uh, the humble discern God's will, but the prideful disobey God's will. They don't, they don't fall in alignment with it. And his, his whole point was in telling the Jews that they're not, they're not being humble. They literally are being prideful because they've turned their back on God and God's ways. Well, what was his point, really, if you wanted to summarize as you look through his writings there? Well, on the day of judgment, it's going to be pretty easy to tell who was humble and who was prideful. Now today, those who take up the cross of Christ, they would be considered those who have true humility. That's why I started off by saying, you'll find pride amongst non-Christians and amongst Christians, but you're only going to find humility, true humility, upon those who have humbled themselves to the Word of God and taken taken, uh, Jesus uh, upon themselves. They've decided to follow His ways. Unfortunately, we're surrounded by those who will not do that. They're prideful. Those are the ones who are literally going to live in such a way as to allow their flesh uh, to follow after whatever it is their lust is. They're prideful. They don't want to give up what they want and follow what God says. They want to do what they want. And so Malachi, as he writes to them, makes this pretty clear. Matter of fact, he's not done. If, let me go back to verse 1. It is really sad for us to think about this fact, but Malachi points out what most of us here already know. There is a day coming, and for many people, it is going to be horrible. And as a matter of fact, it's going to be bad for a lot of people who are God's people. We find that for those who were Jews under the Old Testament, and the same thing goes for those today under the New Testament. Notice His judgment declared in Malachi 4.1, For behold, the day cometh... That shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch." What's he saying? Well, very simply, there's going to be punishment for the proud. These are the ones who would not submit themselves to God. And yet, as we continue on, he also declares through Malachi that there's going to be blessings for those who are righteous through humility. Look at verses 2 and 3. But unto you that fear My name... This is the true humility that we're talking about. Unto you that fear My name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your foot in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. If you guys are wondering what he means when he says grow up as calves of the stall, uh, when you have calves in the stall, there's somebody there who's providing for them and taking care of them. They're not left to themselves. That's kind of the general idea we have here. The prophet Malachi closes his book really by calling the Jews to strictly fall in line and follow what the law of Moses is telling them to do. And he says, do this until John the Baptist, the forerunner, is going to come. And he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. And he's going to introduce this promised Messiah and begin this new and this everlasting dispensation. Listen to verses 4 and 6. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statues and judgment, judgments? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. This is Malachi pointing forward to when John the Baptist would come and he is going to really lead and point the way for Jesus prior to Jesus' ministry. <clears throat> Malachi is a good verse to talk about when you start to talk about humility and pride. Why? Well, the humble Jews is going to accept this teaching, they're going to they're dig deep, they're going to understand from this inspired writings. The prideful, they're going to reject it. They're not going to fall in line with the law of Moses, and they're probably going to have issues when the Savior comes. Again, because of their lack of understanding or acceptance of the inspired Scriptures. And so it's great for us to go back and start off with Malachi, and I really appreciate you sending that passage to start off, looking at the consequences of pride and humility. Now what we're going to do is go on into the New Testament. Go ahead and turn on over to Luke chapter 14, and this is probably not the passage the majority of people would look at when you're talking about pride and humility. I had, uh, I had a little bit of intent on my mind, although some of that was taken care of yesterday evening. But it still applies to a number of other people. So we need to spend some time and look at and understand the dangers and the consequences regarding pride, while at the same time noticing the blessings of humility. And so we're going to go over here to Luke chapter 14, look at verses 15 through 24. And again, it's probably not the passage the majority of people would have gone to but it actually works really well. Let's go to Luke 14. Follow follow along with me starting in verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that the servant came and showed his lord these things, then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there's room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden or invited shall taste of my supper. What's the context here? So Jesus is actually eating at a, a, the house of a prominent Pharisee. And while they're there and they're eating, they observe a man who is lame. This man has a, a disease over in Luke, described in Luke 14 too. And then Jesus asks a very unusual question. He says, is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? That's in verse 3. So as they're sitting there and they're spending time together and they're eating Jesus, he sees that man who needs, he needs help. And Jesus doesn't ignore him. But those that were at the table, they were ignoring Him. And it's kind of sad because at best, they were ignoring Him. But at worst, they were outright rejecting Him, possibly even because of His illness. And so Jesus begins to really rebuke their behavior, but He does it in such a way that He could could teach a parable, teach a lesson to try to get them to understand what it is that they were doing. And that's... He really teaches two of them, one uh, covered in verses 7 through 11, the other one covered there in verses 15 through 24, which we just read. And he's doing this to point out the difference between pride and humility. I do want you to notice in the first parable, because I'm not going to spend time on it. Notice Luke 14, 11. He says, "...for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." So Jesus is making a very clear distinction regarding those who were prideful and those who were humble." Now he continues this throughout the very next parable. So let's begin to break this down. Let's start off talking about an invitation. We're going to start here in verse 15, and we'll start to work through this as we start to point out pride and humility. And we'll point out pride for those who are not Christians and for those who are Christians, and then humility for the Christian. Follow along with me starting in verse 15 as he tells this parable. And, one of, and when one of them sat at meat with him, heard these things, this was from the first parable, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. So they make a comment, and Jesus starts right into the next parable. Let's see if you guys, he's, he's basically saying, Let's see if you guys can get this figured out. What is it when you, when you bade many? What he's saying is, is there was this invitation. There was this great invitation that went out to this supper. Guys, let me point something out. There's only one invitation. There's just one. You hear one every week, but there's only one. There's one invitation, and you really only have one opportunity to accept it. And I'll point that out here in a second, because you may say, well, i got next week. Well, we'll get to that. There's one invitation, and we do it week after week after week. We do it at Bible study. We do it all the time. I want to point something out. Just think about today. Guys, there are few people who are saved. There are a lot of people who are lost. That's not my opinion. That's what the Scriptures teach. I could give you a number of passages. I didn't put them in your notes. Write down Matthew 7, 13 through 22. That's pretty clear, okay? So that's not my opinion. There are a lot of people who are lost. They're lost due to pride. There are some who are in a condition of being saved if they remain faithful. And guys, that only comes about by humility. But Jesus starts off talking about this invitation, very similar to what we find over in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Guys, where you are right now in comparison to this petition will tell you whether or not you are prideful or whether you are... Humble. For everyone here who has hit that age of accountability, you have understanding. Jesus is calling you. Please come take my yoke upon you. And every one of you, every one of you, including myself, need to ask ourselves have we done that? For those who have not yet obeyed the gospel, he's talking about obeying the gospel. For those of us who have, he's saying, take, take my ways upon you, my cares. Let me take those cares off of you, but fall in line with what it is that I'm asking you to do. How we answer that, where we stand right now, should tell us right off the bat. Am I prideful or am I humble? If you're here and you're a Christian and you're struggling with something, some type of a sin, a private sin, something you're not talking about, it starts to help you out. Where are you at? There's at least one issue of pride in your life. But there's this one invitation. Listen to John seven thirty-seven and 38. In that last day... That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scriptures hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Let me touch on a phrase he uses here. He says, those that believe on me as the Scriptures have said. Well, the very Scriptures that pointed out that he was the Messiah are also the same very scriptures that tell us how we are to live, how we are to worship, what it is we are to think. Guys, this is not faith only. This is faith based on what the scriptures say. That's exactly, that's exactly what he says. He that believeth on me as the scriptures have said. Guys, our thoughts, our behavior, our worship, they need to match, they need to match the scriptures. That's how you guys can understand if you're worshiping with the church. I know that's very, for those watching this online, that's a very insane, unusual thought you've probably never heard of. For us, that's understood. You want to be part of the church, you need to be in alignment with the Word of God. But we have him starting off with this invitation in this parable. There's just one opportunity to obey this invitation. For those who are here maybe who are not yet baptized, don't wait to, don't wait to come to Christ. I saw, actually saw a guy on Facebook this week, a minister who... He taught somebody about baptism. He's been teaching him for a while. It took a couple studies before the light bulb clicked. And he said, hey, let's, let's drive over to the church. The guy, the guy requested finally to be baptized. He said, let's get in my car. Let's drive on over to the building. And he said, uh-uh. You've got a pool here, right? I'm not getting in your car. <laughs> let's just do it right here in the pool. I'm not getting in your car. There's some, something going to happen. Like, we may not make it to the church building. And you may say, oh, that's crazy. I, I've told you guys before, I knew two ministers who were taking a guy to the church building, and he died on the way. Died on the way. Don't wait till later. I always ask people when they finally, when they finally get to that point, if I'm concerned, you know, it, that's why I don't ever ask anybody to ever be baptized. I never ask them, do you want to be baptized? When they get it, when they truly get it, they're going to come say, I need to be baptized. It's not going to be a, let's do this down the road. Right? But there's just that one invitation. And so if you've, not, if you've not obeyed the gospel, this is your opportunity. If you are a Christian and you've not been faithful, you need to come back to Christ. It's the pride that is keeping you away from being and remaining faithful to that original request, right? that invitation. Notice 2 Corinthians 6.2. Paul says, For he hath said, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're here, you've not obeyed the gospel, you know what you need to know? Today is the day. This is the day of salvation, or at least it can be, if you decide to put on Christ. We have to put away our pride. We have to put on that humility and we have to begin to live for Christ according to how Christ has told us to live. Today could be that day. If you've walked away from Christ, if you've not been faithful, if you're struggling with something, today's the day you come back. Drop the pride for whatever the issue it is and come back. Listen to James 4.14. And we have to have an understanding, guys. (laughs) Today is the day because there may not be tomorrow. That's what James is telling us. James 4.14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away." When Jesus comes back, the humble will be found in their humility, and the prideful will be found in their pride. The choice is up to us. I can determine what I want to be. I work with people who want to live prideful lives, and guess what? If they don't want to hear the gospel, don't want to live that way, I'll let them. Uh, I'll go go find somebody else who, who really wants to hear it, and maybe somebody who wants to be a faithful follower. I pray those other people will come and eventually listen to it, but that decision's up to them, and that decision's up to us to accept that initial invitation and then to remain faithful to it. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 22.7. Behold, I come quickly, blessed is he that keepeth up the sayings of the prophecy of this book. In alignment with what James says, when Jesus comes back, there's no time for second chances. And let me fix something here in Revelation 22.7. When he says, I come quickly... He's not saying, I'm coming tomorrow. All right? Some people read it that way. Oh, Jesus is coming back soon. I don't know what Jesus is, when Jesus is coming back, but here's what I do know. When he comes back, it's going to be like this. He's here. He's going to come back quick. Not tomorrow, but when he shows up, he's upon us. And at that point, as I've already said, I will be found either in my pride or I'll be found in my humility. There's no second chances because he's coming back quickly. It's unexpected, like a thief in the night. So right now, where I sit right now, today, am I prideful? Am I humble? Because He could come back like that. There's no second chance. Am I faithful? Those are the things we have to ask. Certainly the proud reject God's invitation. And sometimes the proud have obeyed the gospel, and then they reject remaining faithful to that actual invitation, to take that yoke upon Him. They, they leave that. They leave their first love. We can read about that in the book of Revelation. We have to give up our pride and we have to change all that today. So Jesus starts off in the parable talking about an invitation. I already told you most people wouldn't use this passage to talk about pride and humility. But that's what it talks about. He starts off with an invitation and then He shows us self-will versus God's will. I love how he put the parable together here to teach this because he continues regarding this invitation starting in verse 17. Let's continue on. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, that's to the ones who were invited, come for all things are now ready. All right, he gave the invitation. Let this, you guys, think about this. When we give the invitation every week, either to obey the gospel or if you have an issue and you need the prayers of the church, a lot of people don't say anything, they don't do anything. Here this invitation went out, and notice what they say in verse 18. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Verse 19, And another said, I've bought five, I've bought a, a five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. You ever notice that those people who are prideful in life always think that their preferences or their desires are more important than God's? Next time you have somebody who's not gonna obey what God tells them to do, that's what's taking place. And if you begin to ask them why they do something, guess what they'll guess what they'll give you? Some horrible, horrible, not even well thought out excuse. That's what happens. Listen to these excuses. I bought a field and I need to go look at it. Who does that? How many of you guys ever bought a house? You buy a house without looking at it? And if you're a farmer, you buy a field without looking at it? I don't know if you guys know much about farming, but the lay of the land, whether uh, whether or not you've got soil that will blow off because you've got, I'm having a brain lapse, but the angle of the actual land erosion, that's kind of important when you buy a field. Right? Does, it have, does it have a lot of angle to it? Is it flat? Uh, is it, is it swampland? Right? Is, is it down in an area where the river's going to come up and flood it? Those are all important questions. Nobody buys a field without going and looking at it. That's just an outright excuse. Nobody does that. The next guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go prove them. How many guys in here have bought a car? Did you just buy it sight unseen? The, the oxen are the tractors of the day. I bought, five, I bought five yoke oxen. That's a, big, that's a mighty big tractor back then. I better go try it out. <laughs> no, he's making up an excuse. This guy says, I've married a wife and I can't come. I can sympathize with this guy. No, I'm just kidding. Bring her. Bring her with you, right? That's an excuse. These are all horrible excuses, and it's not any different today. They were invited. They had an invitation, and they have an excuse as to why they're not going to accept it. Think about the invitation we have for all people today. you got the same excuses. They're just horrible excuses. Consider Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. A lot of people today have excuses as to why they, they are not seeking first the kingdom of God. Proud people make excuses. They place God after their own desires, their own wants, and that's, that's not unusual. What God wants is for us to give up those prideful desires for the pride that causes us to live in such a way where we are sinning against the will of God. He wants us to give that up. He wants us to repent of those things and then to live faithfully. Listen to 2 Peter 3.9, and he's been giving us time, but... We don't know how much we've got. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what He wants. He wants the prideful to come to repentance. You can't, you can't move from pride into humility without repentance. it's part, part of the actual obeying of the gospel but it's also part of the ongoing life for the Christian. I know we oftentimes get, get accused of many things. I've never taught that, I have to, that that you as Christians will live a perfect life after you become a Christian. Matter of fact, I, I tell all of you that's not going to happen. We're all going to mess up. We are all going to fall short. That's why we were given away to remain faithful. Uh, go back and write down 1 John 1, 7 through 7-9. There's a lot of passages we could go to, but as Christians we will fall short. And we have to continue to repent and then fall back into alignment with His will. But certainly, that repentance is part of the obeying of the gospel. Listen to what we find over in Acts 17, 30. Paul, he says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at... It's not like, oh, good job. He's not winking like that. He's overlooked them. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness. Let me pause for a second. What day is that day? I don't know, but it's appointed. There is a day out there, I wish I had that calendar. I'd love to have that calendar. But you know what the problem is, is if we actually knew what that day was? You know what people would do? They would live, <laughs> some people would live the worst lifestyle they could and then they would think that the day before they could actually repent and turn back to God and play Him. That's exactly what would happen if people knew that they could, if they knew the exact day He was coming back. That's why He's come back as a thief in the night. How many of you guys can admit that there are times where it's like, you know you have up to this day, and you wait till the last second, right? Whether it's a task you've got to do, a bill you've got to pay, whatever it is. If people knew what day Jesus was coming back, that's exactly what they do. Uh, I'll just wait till the 11th, and I'll make it all right. You don't know when He's coming back. But He will come back to judge the world in righteousness by that man when he hath, whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and that He hath raised Him from the dead. Here's the thing. I told you when he comes back, it's going to be quick. And he's not going to, he's not going to accept any excuses. Uh, he'll forgive if we ask through a sincere, obedient faith. Uh, but pride and excuses, those won't cut it. And if you think about pride and excuses, they don't demand action from anybody. You guys want a really, really easy life? Accept the culture of the day. Do whatever you want. Don't believe in any absolute standard of any kind. Because no action is required for that. You want to choose the hard life but the one that has blessings? Choose to be a faithful Christian. Choose to have humility and be in alignment with the Scriptures. That demands faithfulness. That demands, as we talked about today, uh, to, to ask and to seek and to knock. That's the hard life. I've heard people say, oh, Christianity is a crutch. No, it's not. Try it. I. I Christianity is one of the hardest lives you're ever going to live because there are standards for everything that you do. What you think, how you behave, how you worship. I'm not saying that there's no benefit. There's great benefit, great blessings, but it's it's not like it's always going to be easy. Pride and no accountability. That's easy. That's extremely easy. Humility and faithfulness is hard. So Jesus starts off talking about this invitation in the parable. Then he begins to talk about or at least demonstrate man's will or self-will as opposed to God's will. And then he begins to point out God's anger due to, due to pride. Let's continue on, verse 21. So that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring, bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind... And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden or invited shall taste of my supper. When man lives in such a way as to outrightly demonstrate his pride, it makes God angry makes God extremely angry. And the reason is because the rejection of God uh, and His ways through living a life of wickedness and thought and behavior is just an outright rejection of God. Now, I wish I could go back and spend time on it, but I don't need to do anything more than to look at the trees on the ground, the leaves on the ground from the trees to know that there's a God. I can go out and we we saw, I think it was a shooting star. If it was a satellite, I'm not sure. I think it was a shooting star. But the other night... Those types of things show us the, the creation that we have around us of, a, of an intelligent being. There is a God. That's a whole nother sermon right there. But you've got people who will literally see that, understand it logically, and they will outrightly, because of their pride, reject God. And yes, that makes him angry. Listen to Psalm 711. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day how many guys have ever had a child that uh, got into trouble usually not angry with them every day but if they were bad every day you would be (laughs) when you've got people living prideful lives and they're not in alignment with the will of the father certainly he's going to be angry he's angry about those because they've rejected his invitation that or they've decided to go back on it Uh, but We're not talking about a vengeful, spiteful, hateful God. This is a controlled type of anger. Listen to what the Hebrews writer says plainly over in Hebrews 12, 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Nobody's going to get away with with the rejection of God and His ways. Everybody will be accountable. Those who fail to humble themselves before God, they're going to suffer this anger. I know that today a lot of people reject the idea of an absolute morality based on the standard of God, but the Bible teaches very clear, and it wasn't up until recently that you've had so many people teaching the complete opposite. There's always been standard of morality; it's been overwhelmingly generally accepted until recently in culture. Uh, but the Bible teaches there will be an accounting for those who are prideful, as seen through their rejecting of God's teachings. Matter of fact, let me read to you Second Thessalonians one seven and nine. 7 through 9. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pause for just a second. If you're here and you've not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, yeah, go back and read that passage one more time. He will take vengeance on those that... That do not know him and those that have not obeyed the gospel. Verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Guys, that's not something that's good to think about. For those of us who are Christians, who've, who've humbled ourselves and we're living faithful and in alignment with the will of God, when he comes back, that's a glorious day. But as I mentioned earlier, only a few people are in a saved position at this very moment. And the majority of people are lost. And there in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9, regarding those who are lost, he describes an everlasting punishment. If you're not motivated to teach your loved ones or your family members who have not obeyed the gospel yet, that passage ought to do it. Everlasting destruction. John writes in Revelation 19.15, And out of his mouth... Okay, so let me just... if something's coming out of his mouth, We're talk, what do we do with our mouths? We speak. I understand sometimes we get sick, but here he's speaking, right? And we notice it says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Well, what's he talking about? Well, we've got a whole other thing, uh, and a whole other lesson we could do here. But the sword of the Spirit is the word, Ephesians six seventeen. I don't think I stuck that in your notes. And the idea that just as Jesus would be speaking, and just as that sword is the Spirit, which... That is also the uh, idea we have right here. It goes on and says that with it He should smite the nations, and He shall rule them with a rod of iron. Let me pause. The whole world should be ruled by the Word of God right now. It's not, but it should be. He says, he He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. I would tie in, it's not in your notes, I'd tie in John 12, 48. The idea is... This this sword, the Word of God, is what what is ruling the nations. I've had people say, well, you know, I don't follow the Bible. Guess what? It applies to you. It applies to everybody. You don't have to do it. You don't have to accept it, but God's laws are for everyone. They're universal. So, for example, the law of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. That applies to Christians and non-Christians. You don't have to do it. You can go do whatever you want. You can divorce your spouse and put them away. You can say, I don't believe it. That's fine. You're still going to be judged by it. You can say, well, I don't have a problem with stealing. Well, that law is the universal law. Christians can't steal, neither can non-Christians. Right? I don't care what... Worship. I'm going to worship how I want. Go ahead, but you're going to be accountable for it. The Word of God tells you how to worship. You say, well, that's just for Christians. I don't worship that way. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pagan. I'm going to worship this way. Go ahead. But I'm telling you on the day of judgment, you're going to be judged by the Word of God. And you're going to be looked at and found as one who is prideful, because you rejected the will of God and did it your own way. For those who are prideful and are going to lift themselves up against God, they're going to know His anger at the judgment. That's why, I said to, I, that's why I pointed out the passage earlier. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not a Christian, obey the gospel today. If you are a Christian and you're sitting here in a position of sin, fix it today. Because guess what? He could come back today. What's interesting is, we just read from Luke 14, 21-24, where we talk about God's anger due to their pride, but the very same passage speaks of God's love due to humility. Let's go back and read it again. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind." And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. Let me pause for a second. This is the same invitation given to those other people who made excuses. Why are they different? These people, they obeyed the invitation. They came. There's humility in that. He goes on, go out into the highway and hedges and compel them to come in. Basically, beg them to come in. Beg them. Why? There's more room. He says, that my house may be filled Guys, look at, the, look at the, how many seats we have open in this congregation right now. I had someone ask me Friday. Uh, I don't even know how we got on the subject. I'm sure I brought it up. But I was in the cafeteria. I was getting coffee. Surprise, surprise. And we were talking about people, people, uh, people in church and so forth. And somehow it got on the question of, of different beliefs. And I said, if you're a raging alcoholic, please come to church with me Sunday. If you're a drug addict, come to church with me Sunday. If you're a thief, come to church with me on Sunday. And I said, but here's the thing. I don't want you to, to stay an alcoholic, and I don't want you to stay a thief, and I don't want you to stay a drug addict. And they're like, well, we, we would be welcome? I'm like, of course you would. But I'm going to preach the same sermon that I preach to everybody else, which is quit stealing, quit getting drunk, quit beating your spouse, right? There's more room. He says that my house may be filled. I'd give anything for this entire congregation to be overflowing. Can you imagine if we had to go build a new building? Well, it'd be a pain, but man, it'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Maybe we could put a second level in here and get two more sets of chairs. I don't know. probably a fire hazard. But that's what's going on here. Go out and compel them. There's more room. And he says, For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden, the ones with excuses, the ones that didn't come, he says, None of them shall taste of my supper. Guys, those who reject the invitation, they're going to be found accountable. It's sad. And they're going to be rejected by God, and they're going to taste that wrath and that anger. But it was their choice. It was their choice. Let me point this out, though, because I'm not saying God hates those people. He doesn't. He doesn't approve of their behavior, but He doesn't hate them, and that's because God's love is for all men. Some won't accept it, but God's love is for all men. Let me read a passage you're all familiar with, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him, notice this, might, might, might be saved. Not. I've already told you Matthew 7, 13-22 uh, makes it very clear. Very few people are in a position of being saved or going to be saved. The majority of people are lost. But He came back that... They could be, that they might be saved. Matter of fact, listen to Romans 5.8. Most of you are familiar with this. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us so that we would not remain sinners. He died for the prideful, who are sinners, so that we would give up that pride and become faithful followers of Christ. That's why He came. Some will, some will not but He wants us to accept that sacrifice and the benefits. Listen to 1 John 4, 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Let me focus on that for just a second. Through Him. How do you live through Him? It's not by wearing the necklace with the cross or the what would Jesus, what would Jesus do. If, it, if you had the bracelet that was the WWJD, it'd really be... I can't do all the acronyms, but Jesus probably wouldn't have got himself in this situation in the first place. That's what the letter should actually be. Uh, But it's not a bracelet. It's not a necklace. How do I live through him? Humility, submission to God by obedience to his word. That's living through him. I know we should go back and spend a whole other sermon on inspiration. God loves all men. He wants all people to be saved. For those of us who are parents, we get it, right? Um, I'm going to be very careful so uh, I'm not going to tell you whether this is my family someone else's family but I was talking to a person who has a child who is dealing with a serious uh, who who has dealt and I don't know if they still are or not dealt with uh, issues with addiction and that person said and we can all understand this and get this that person told me that's my child and I love them I don't want them to live like that, but I love them. And let me take that back to the love of God. God loves all people. And we may choose to do some horrible things. It doesn't take away His love for us, but that doesn't mean He accepts it. And that's what that parent said. I can't accept that behavior. I love them. They're my child. And it's the same thing with God. God has behavior. He accepts and behavior that He will not accept. But He still loves them. That's why Jesus came. But that love for all people... little bit different for the faithful follower of God. Why? Well, there's a covenant relationship that we're in. We've chosen to be the faithful followers of God. He's our Father. We'll be his, His children. And there's that relationship. God cannot and does not work through the prideful and those who are involved in wickedness. But God does and can work through those who are humble, faithful servants. He can work with the humble non-believer through their understanding of the Scriptures and being willing to submit themselves to it. Um, it's a whole other sermon to go in and talk about providence and inspiration and how all that stuff works together. For those of you who are out of some other religious group, go back and think for just a few seconds about what it was that brought you to the church. There was a lot that went on. Providence possibly, and who it was that taught you the gospel, a final understanding of the inspiration of the scriptures and how the Holy Spirit has revealed to us the mind of God, seeking and the diligence on your, on your part. There's a lot that went on there, but I'll tell you what, the basis of it all is humility. It's humility. For those who have heard the exact same message and rejected it, the basis is Pride. God has a love for those people who are humble. Listen to James 2.5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which He hath promised to them that love Him? Yep. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called... This world thinks they're so smart today. The world thinks they're so wise, especially in today's culture. And these people, for the most part, have rejected God's calling. You may say, why? Because man is called through the gospel. There's no Holy Spirit whispering in my ear, I'm called through the gospel. And so is every other person. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be a faithful follower of God, of Christ? All you need is the gospel and some humility to fall in line with it. Because you can hear the gospel, but you mix that with pride. You know what I know? You're not going to follow it. You're not going to be faithful. The supposedly wise people reject the gospel through their pride. James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace, and wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And that's why over in James 4.10 we're told, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Here's the question. Are we humbling ourselves before God? Or are we literally wearing our pride arrogantly in front of Him? Have you obeyed the gospel? That's the question you need to answer right now. If you've not obeyed the gospel, there's some type of pride that is keeping you from doing it. I don't know what it is. Some type of pride somewhere is keeping you from obeying the gospel. And as I pointed out, we may not be here tomorrow. We may not be here tomorrow. We have today, though. We have today. Maybe you have obeyed the gospel. Here's the next question. Are you being faithful? We kind of touched on this last week. I don't know what everyone here is struggling with. I don't know if you have personal sin issues. I honestly do not know. I would pray that if you are here and you're struggling in some regard, please reach out to another Christian. Please reach out. Please reach out to someone else to help bring you back to a state of faithfulness. That's why we're here. As brothers and sisters in Christ is to help us on that walk. Let me break it down real quick. Humility. If you go back to the title, the consequences of pride and humility. Humility is rewarded. Jesus has the parable there and he talks about the invitation. Accept the invitation. Either to obey the gospel or to continue to remain faithful as a follower of Christ. Don't make excuses. We looked at some of those excuses. Don't make excuses. Live in such a way as to, not, as to avoid God's anger, as to not bring God's wrath upon you on the day of judgment. And through this, you can experience the love of God. But it starts with humility. That's why I said at the very beginning of the sermon, there is no person in the world who is totally, truly humble unless they're a Christian. It's impossible. Humility is rewarded. Prideful. It prevents blessings. It brings wrath. It brings eternal destruction. The rejection of God's invitation to obey the gospel or to remain a faithful follower of Christ is going to prevent blessings. They place their own desires and their own will before God. They live in such a way as to isolate themselves from God and to bring His wrath upon them by their own choice. And guys, they are going to experience the anger of God on the Judgment Day. Why? Because they were prideful. And let me end this with the repeating of something I've already said. Oftentimes this pride is found, by, is found on Christians. Don't think, oh, it's, it's them and us. It's not. Yes, the people in the world, they have pride. They haven't obeyed the gospel for a number of reasons and it's, it's pride related, usually. Sometimes they've just not been taught, but it's usually pride. And for the Christians, you, you find me any Christian who's not living faithful, they've got an area of pride in their life. In both situations, whether you've not obeyed the gospel yet or whether you're not being faithful, you need to take a, you need to take a look at yourself. You need to fall back in line with God's word and His will. And guys, that requires humility. As I draw this to a close, that's my concern. I'm going to go back and say it again. Guys, we don't know if we'll be here tomorrow. We don't. So if you're here right now and you've never obeyed the gospel... Please obey the gospel. If there's things you don't understand, let's schedule a time and sit down and study it. And sometimes it takes a while to get it, and I understand that. It took me a while to get it too. I didn't just hear the gospel once and I obeyed it. But you need to be studying. You need to be seeking. If you are here and you're a faithful Christian or you're a Christian, but there's areas you're struggling with, you need to go back and look at it. If you've not obeyed the gospel, very simple. Somebody needs to sit down and teach you about who Jesus was and why He came so that you'll have faith. Hebrews 11.6. You need to understand uh, the church, what the church is. You need to have an understanding of why even Jesus came and died for, for sins. That brings with it the inherent understanding of sin and the consequence of sin so that you can repent. Uh, you go back and look at Acts 2.38 and a number of other passages uh, talking about repenting. So you need to understand the Word of God. You need to believe, Hebrews 11.6. You need to repent. You need to confess Christ with your mouth Romans 10.9 and 10. Same example with the Ethiopian eunuch over in Acts 8. Then you need to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Very simple. That's what Jesus teaches in Mark 16, 15, and 16. We talked about it this morning. It's a burial in water where you come back up and you're a new creation in Christ. Um, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, it's how you get into Christ. It's how you become a Christian. If you're here and you've not done that, please, please, please study on it. Or if you're ready to obey the gospel, uh, we'd love to sit down and study with you. If you're watching this online and you've never heard any of that, you can give us a call. We'll set you up with a faithful congregation or we'll study with you ourselves. But as I draw this to a close, if you're here and there's a way that we can help you in any way, you can come forward as we're letting a song of invitation.